Well, we are finishing up a series that we started at the beginning of February. This is part seven of a series called Just Give. And we have been unpacking, uh, first of all, who God is. God our Father is a good and generous giver who lavishes on us. And I, I feel like I have to say this every week. This is so much bigger than money. He is a good and generous God who lavishes grace, mercy, love, provision, the time that we have here on this earth, eternal life with him forever. He lavishes that on us generously. He's, he's a good, generous God. And he, he invites us as his kids to become more like him. And he's given us certain things to steward in this life. All that we have came from him. It's his, not ours. But he entrusts us with it, and we get to steward it. And so he's inviting us to become like him, generous givers who realize all he's given us, and then we turn around and we learn to give it away. Um, and so as we've moved through the series, we then spent a couple of weeks talking about how we steward our finances well, and we become generous people with, with our treasure. Uh, we talked for a couple weeks about our time, how God give, has given us time and what we do with that, and that we can take time, which is fleeting and temporary, and we can choose to invest it in something eternal that will last forever. And ultimately, that's in people, that's in relationships. Um, and so we talked about the importance of pacing and how when we learn to, to give our time to him, we learn to go at the right pace. We can then give of our overflow instead of living off the, the dregs, you know, the last little bit of our time and living off scraps um, but that we can learn to have pace and margin our lives. So those are some things we've covered over the last few weeks. This morning, we're going to talk about stewarding our, our talent, our abilities, um, things that he's given us. Um, towards the end of the message, we're going to talk a little bit about defining ways we can kind of discover what, what those are. What are gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us? We'll talk about that a little bit. But mainly what we're going to talk about this morning is, is the heart behind that. How I entrust God with this life he's given me. He's given me mental, physical, spiritual gifts and abilities. And is my heart to, to give him that to worship him with that. Um, not to do it for him, although that's part of it, but to do it with him. It's with him and for him together. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into this. Now, the way I want to unpack this is something that is vital and crucial to our mission here as a church. Um, we talk um, in our small group training. We, we've taught it on Sunday mornings, and you will hear about it over and over again over time. Um, the issue of discipleship. God has called us to be disciples. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at how Jesus defines what a disciple is and how that lines up within who, who we are uniquely, who he's made us to be uniquely, and how we can walk out using our gifts and talents and abilities in step with being a follower of Jesus. So hopefully that will make sense as we go forward. So we are all called to be disciples, and God wants us to steward our unique talents and gifts for his kingdom purposes. And so to set the stage for this, I want to recap something that may be familiar to some of you. Um, but our definition of a disciple comes from Jesus' words when he called his first disciples. And so this passage is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. We're going to read all three verses together, and then we're going to hone in primarily on verse 19. 
And so this is talking about Jesus, and it says in Matthew 4.19, or sorry, 4.18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I want to read that phrase one more time. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, can we do the cheesy pastor thing for a minute? Will you guys read that with me? Y'all ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. There are three key elements here in that one phrase. And I love this about Jesus because in the invitation of Jesus, there's also the definition of what he's calling us to. In the very invitation, he's letting us know what life with him is going to look like. And so we're going to unpack these three things. Jacob, if you want to go ahead and put up our, our little image there. Um, we use the image of a triangle. It's not because there's anything special about a triangle. It's because maybe you can remember it. <laughs> I, I, I need like shapes, you know, I need like something visual to help me grasp something. And so um, this triangle is there to kind of help you remember this. But there's three key elements in this phrase. The first thing he says is to follow me. That's relational. It's, it's an invitation to do something. Um, and I'm following a person. I'm not, he doesn't say follow some script I'm going to give you. Follow a list of rules I'm going to give you. It's an invitation to follow a living Person. And so Jesus is inviting us to follow him. We're going to unpack that more in a minute. The next thing he says is he's promising to do something with these guys. He doesn't just say, follow me and leave it at that. Okay, I guess you'll figure out what that looks like. Just follow me and we'll see. He says, follow me. I'm going to make you into something. You're, you're going to change. You're going to look different. If you really, truly follow me and walk with me, you're going to start changing. It's going to be a byproduct that comes from being in relationship with me. You will look different. And so he says there's change that will take place. And we'll unpack that a little bit as we go this morning. And then finally, he tells them what he's going to make them into. Fishers of men. I'm going to give you a job. You're going to live with a purpose. You're going to come be on mission with me. You're going to take what I'm giving you and what begins to change in you. And you're going to learn how to give that away. You're going to help catch other people and bring them into the kingdom. And so Jesus is telling them this is what a disciple looks like. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, is in the process of being changed by him, and is on mission with him. And so we're going to look at how that relates to using our talents for his kingdom this morning. So number one, this, this concept of following. Um, there's another passage in Luke chapter 5, that's a really full picture of this story. Matthew gives us the glimpse. Some guys are fishing. Jesus calls them to action. But in Luke's gospel chapter 5, I'm going to just unpack this story. You can check it out later if you want on your own. Verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Luke tells us the story this way. Jesus shows up on the scene and after a really long night of fishing... Peter, Andrew, some of his other bros out there that all fish together, they've been fishing all night and they have caught nothing. That would be a discouraging night. I mean, I already, I've had a job before where I had to work at night. It was miserable. I did it for about nine months and I could not wait to get off that third shift. It was like 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. It was awful. Um, but I can't imagine doing that and then not making any money afterwards. 
Like, let's get real about it. This isn't like they're fishing for fun. They're trying to make money. They spent all night and got nowhere. Now, Jesus shows up, a carpenter by trade, shows up and says, hey, at the end of your long night's work, I want you to take your nets and go out to the deep and cast out your nets. Now, you have to think about how absurd this is for a minute. These guys are pros. If you're fishing with a net, you fish in shallow water so you can trap the fish so they can't go under and get away, right? The length of your net is how deep you fish. So Jesus, um, you fish in shallow water and nighttime is the best time. And you're telling me now that it's daytime and I'm exhausted to go out deep and fish. And yet somehow as crazy as that is, they did it. They did it. They said, okay. And so they went out there and they cast out their nets and they began to haul in this load that was so full, like their nets were breaking. And their response, Peter's response specifically to this, I'm sure he was amazed. I'm sure he did think it was incredible. But his response was, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. His response to this miraculous thing Jesus did was not to be in awe of who Jesus was. It was to reflect on how he didn't measure up. I'm a broken mess and failure in light of your glory. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And it's in that context that Jesus offers this invitation to say, no, Peter, you are worthy. I am calling you to something. You're going to stop fishing for fish and you're going to start fishing for people. Come and follow me and I will make you, I will change you into a fisher of men. The first thing I see as someone who has to decide to follow Jesus is to believe that God actually wants to use me. To believe that I could be worthy, useful. I don't think that's a small thing. I think all too often we find ourselves just being willing to, to settle and sit on the sideline because I'm not, I'm not there yet. I have to get to this thing or, or get to this place or I'm not, I'm not usable. I'm not worthy. I don't measure up yet. Jesus at the very beginning, before they've done anything, he's already inviting them to come be a part. And then he does that throughout. I mean, isn't the story of the disciples' lives just up and down, back and forth, side to side, like it's filled with that. But Jesus says, you're qualified. I want the fishermen. I want the regular guy. I want the tax collector. I want the reject. You are qualified. Look at the list of people that he called to follow him. If you were starting an organization, is that what you would start with? Would that be your strategy? Let me get the smelly fisherman, the tax collector, and then I'm going to find the thief and let him watch the money. <laughs> this, this is who Jesus invited into his kingdom. We're qualified. Um, I came across this story during the Olympics. I, I talked about the Olympics a little bit when they were happening, the Winter Olympics. I got sucked in this year. It was just super fun. There's something about the Winter Olympics. Like, I've never really lived anywhere where there's a lot of snow. I've visited a couple places, but I just... It's so different and foreign to me. It's just really fun to watch. Um, and I fell in love with this one gal. Um, I mean, I didn't really like fall in love with her. <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> but there's this incredible story. I don't know if any of you saw this, but there's this gal. And Jacob, if you want to cue up our video, I'm going to actually show you a clip. 
There's this gal named Elizabeth Swaney or Swaney. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. She's in her mid-30s. She's from Southern California. And she decided a couple years ago, I want to be in the Olympics. She's just a normal chick, like went to college, skied for fun, I guess, every now and then. She decided, I want to go to the Olympics. And so her grandmother is Hungarian, so she went to Hungary and qualified as an athlete there. And then to make the Olympics, you have to go through all these different trials. And so she would sign up for all these events in the women's halfpipe. Now, I don't know if you guys know what the halfpipe is. You'll see in a second. But you go down the halfpipe, and, and you kind of go back and forth. And when you get to the top, you jump, and then you do lots of tricks. You spin, you turn, you twist, you flip around, and you land. And you go back and forth down the halfpipe doing tricks. Well, she figured out that there were so few women that went to these qualifying events that by just going and not falling, <laughs> she could qualify for the Olympics. So I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Swanee, Olympic skier. Olympic skier. Here we go. Let's watch her. This is her run at this year's Olympics. I guess it's Swanee. She's just cruising. <laughs> Y'all, she's in the Olympics. <laughs> Watch this. She gets fancy. Oh, yeah. Let's go backwards. <laughs> I love her little celebration here. <laughs> That's it. We're good, Jacob. I love just a little... Hey, I'm just here in the Olympics, being an Olympic skier. I love this chick. She just decided, I want to be an Olympic athlete. What's a sport I can get into? I'm just going to go do it. And she's just cruising down, having a blast. And I mean, these announcers are like, they have no idea what to do. Um, and they, let's see what she does here. Oh, yeah, she did a little turn. Okay, great. You know, the people are confused. But I love this. She just went for it. Why don't we do that? Why don't we just go for it? Like, I think I've got to wait until I'm the guy that can do all the flips and the crazy tricks. And it's like, Jesus is just saying, come on, get into the game. My, my buddy Jimmy that I've just learned a lot of discipleship stuff from over the years, he puts it like this. He says, don't worry, be crappy. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in a sermon, but I guess I did. The point is, just go for it. It's okay. Like we get so hung up on worrying about failing. But if we would just, just say, God, here's who I am. Here's what I've got. It's yours. I'm willing to be in the game. He has a purpose and a place for us. Let's stop looking at what we're not good at or how we haven't arrived quite yet and say, God, here's what I do have. I'm giving it to you. Peter felt unworthy and often we can too. But Jesus invites us all the same. This is his heart towards us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. 
He crafted you. He's thrilled with what he made. Think about it. When I'm feeling discouraged about how I fall short, what I'm saying is what he made isn't good enough. When he looks at you and says, you're not just good. When he finished making man, women, humans, he said, it's very good. It's very good. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are not on our own. When he invites you to follow him, inherently he's making a promise there. Come follow me. In other words, you're going to be with me. You're not by yourself. I'm even going to give you some direction. Let's do this together. And so we're created in Christ for good works. How cool is that? I get to participate in good stuff. Messed up, as broken as I am, as faulty as I am, I get to participate in good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's do it. Let's walk in the gifts God has given us. This requires no fear going for it. He's invited us and he's qualified us. And we don't need to be afraid to fail. We don't need to be afraid to fail. In fact, that's part of the journey. That leads us to point two. So point one is we're following him. Point two is he's changing us along the way. That's why I can just jump in where I'm at. Because he's going to be faithful to change me. Let's look back at this this verse one more time together. Matthew 4, 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Who does the work? Jesus. Do we participate in the work? How so? We go. We go. We part- Okay, God, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. We, we have some participation, but he does the transformation. All right? So we, we go. We follow. And listen, I, I kind of referenced this earlier with the disciples. Like, change happens. If we follow him, change happens. The deal is, Sometimes it happens slowly. Sometimes it happens instantly. Have you ever had a change of heart, a change of mind? You knew there was a moment where just things are different after this moment. Sometimes it's, it's quick, it's fast, it's instantaneous. Other times it's slowly, it's gradually. Often in my life it's two steps back and one step forward. You know, Peter one minute is being told like, you couldn't have said that except for that came directly from God. And the next minute he's saying, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Like, think about that. Have you ever gotten a a scolding like that? I mean, we're so quick to just be crushed by that kind of thing. A correction, a scolding, like, oh, I'm just crushed. But Jesus loves us enough to to encourage and fan the flame of, of good things that are happening. And he cares about us enough to call out certain things and say, hey, that needs to be different. See, here's how I participate. Here's how change takes place. I do one of two things. I obey and I repent. I obey and I repent. If we, if we jump back two verses in Matthew chapter 4, right before he called the disciples, we find out the message that Jesus was carrying around. In Matthew 4.17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At the simplest level, a kingdom is where there's somebody in charge 
and what the person in charge wants to happen, happens. It's that simple. I'm in charge, I set the rules, and what I say happens, that's what happens. And so our life of following Jesus is recognizing the kingdom is present right here, right now. Not in its fullness. The whole world isn't doing everything God wants. But I can choose to let him be king in my life. I can invite his kingdom right here, right now by saying, God, you come be in charge. And so I'm going to obey you. And as I'm obeying you, you're going to be changing me. You're going to be transforming me as I'm walking through this process. And I'm going to blow it. And so at times, when I haven't been obeying you, I'm going to realize the invitation is still there. You're king and you're present and you want to lead. And so I can choose to repent and start again. His mercy is new. How often? I'm really thankful for that one. I'm really thankful for that. And so he's, he's faithful. Um, you know the phrase, failure, failure is not an option? That's wrong. Failure is a perfectly good option. Does that bother you a little bit? Do you, do you, does something in you disagree with that statement? Failure is absolutely an option. You know why? Because it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for change. Maybe what I'm about to say is just my own personal struggle, but I don't think so. I think I have enough, enough relationship with people to know others struggle with this. Somehow, I've bought into this lie, like I've just got to get it perfect all the time. Like I am just supposed to have it together, and it's not even worth doing if I just can't do it perfectly the first time. Um, Alex and I spent months building the coolest thing ever. Do you already know where I'm going with this? <laughs> we built these awesome, killer, super, like 12 feet tall wooden beams. They just look so cool. And we had this feel that we wanted it to have for the first sanctuary space we were going to have for Grace Chapel, Knoxville. And so we built these just awesome, huge beams. They're hollow inside where like cords could run up through them and connect to the TV screen and then they'd connect together with these, these cool, awesome, like, pipe-looking things. And these pretty lights would hang down, and it would just create this perfect ambiance. So even though we were going to be in a school, like, it would just, it would just look awesome. The space would be great. And so we, we, yeah, I mean, we have them. We, they aren't thrown away. We set them up, like, once, and we were like, wow, that was really hard. We almost killed ourselves. <laughs> we can't possibly ask people to do this week after week after week. And we stuck them in a storage shed, and there they sit. <laughs> Instead, we have a table. <laughs> this drives me insane. <laughs> this looks terrible to me. <laughs> Why isn't that TV working? We told the school we would pay to replace it. It's not fixed yet. Like, this stuff bothers me. But like, we don't, we don't have to get it perfect. I'm not saying don't try, don't do your best, don't go for it. I'm just saying like, the pressure's off. There's freedom to fail. Let's just get in the game. Let's follow this God who loves us and is inviting us into something rich and rewarding that's for our good. I think sometimes I forget that like when I first said yes to Jesus, it's because life was miserable. I wanted something to change. And then somewhere along the way, I've gotten lost and thought, 
I had to do all the changing and figure it out. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me is what was wrong with me then. I need help. And he loves me. And he helps me. And he changes me. Because he's inviting me into a rich life with him. Where I can, I can follow him and go on this grand adventure. And in the process, he will change me. So I, I want to give you something practical here. Okay, something practical here. I, I know I said we obey, and that's pretty generic, right? There's like specific things when we're following a real living Jesus who we grow in relationship with. We can learn more and more to know what he's saying to us through his word, through the wisdom of others. We develop a recognition of what his voice sounds like in our hearts, and, and we can obey him. I want to give you two tools that I think are radically important, and you have to have both. If we're going to experience change in our lives, it's going to require courage, and it's going to require humility. It's going to require courage to go for it, to try something different, to risk to do something new. But it's going to require humility because it means something needs changing. And I might not get it right the first time or the tenth time. If we don't have both of these things working together, we got a problem. If I decide to follow Jesus with courage and without humility, you know what I become? Prideful. When I've just powered my way through it and done it and I've got it and I'm owning it and I'm changing, I become this prideful person when I walk with courage and not humility. But if, if I walk with humility and no courage, I'm Eeyore. Like I'm just, woe is me, never quite getting there. I, oh, my little hut, there it goes. It tumbled again. The wind blew. Oh, well. Like I just turn into Eeyore. Like I, it leads to being a coward. Like we got to get back up. We got to get back up. When we fall, when we fail, we don't have to stay laying there. He's inviting us. In fact, he holds out his hand and says, I'll lift you up. I'll be the lifter of your head. And so if we're going to experience the change that God wants to produce in our life, it's going to require courage and humility working together. Last point this morning. As I'm following him and I'm changing, he invites me to be on mission. He invites me to use my gifts and my talents and my abilities to touch the lives of other people. Now, there's a few passages that talk about this, but I want to read one from Peter because we've kind of been picking on him a little bit. But Peter, you know, the guy that said, I'm not worthy, and then he was stumbling along the way, that guy who hung in there with Jesus and got to be a part of watching the church explode onto the scene and people meet Jesus for the first time and give their lives to him. That Peter then says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he invites us all into something and he says, as each has received a gift, you and I are an each. We've each received a gift. Multiple gifts. We've received abilities. Use it to do what? Feel better about yourself? I guess you can't see it. Did our TV go out? See? Yeah, even that. Even that's not working. Okay, well, are you going to have to trust me or do this crazy thing where you open your own Bible? I know. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting off track. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another. 
Be generous with what, it's not to make you feel better about yourself. It's not to promote yourself or your agenda. It's not to get something rich and rewarding. It's to give it away to meet the needs of other people. See, I can either show up and look at what I can get from this equation, or if I show up giving to this equation, look how much comes back. Like, think about that. The little bit I could muster and manage on my own, I get a thousandfold when we're all living that way. If we're all giving to one another, the needs are being met. And so we use our gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that part, varied grace. We get different glimpses of God's grace through each other, through each other's lives and stories and giftings. I get a a fuller picture of God's grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. I don't know that I can promise that you experienced that this morning. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. See, it's for his glory. To him be glory and dominion. That's a kingdom word. May he be in charge forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So he's king and we serve each other. That's that's the call to use our gifts. Whatever we're doing in life, our mission is the people around us. See, here's the beauty of living like this. If I'm, if I'm just going through day-to-day life, following Jesus, letting him change and work on me, and I recognize there's a mission, I recognize there's people around me that I can touch their lives, it, it makes the ordinary and the mundane glorious. We talked about that a little bit last week, but the most ordinary day, the most ordinary moment, it's glorious. Like, moms, I don't know how y'all do it. My wife was gone for like two and a half days a week or so ago. And by the time she got back, I mean, I love my kids. We had a great time. But I was like, I was done being mom. I saw something this week. There was like a study done to determine, like, they were kind of looking at stay-at-home moms in particular. And they, they were kind of seeing, like, you know, what does that job look like? And they figured out it added up to about two and a half jobs, full-time jobs, a stay-at-home mom. So kudos on you moms. But listen. Like, I get it. Like, that's a tough, thankless job. I I bet there aren't many days where your kids wake up and come up to you and go, Mom, you are amazing and wonderful, and I'm so grateful for every good thing you do for me. You make the best food. I mean, it's just, you are awesome. Moms, do y'all hear that on a regular basis? Okay. It's true. Your children shall call you blessed. It's true. It's true. It's not a thankless job. It's a powerful, important job. You you are touching eternal beings with an amount of time that nobody else can do. The impact you're having is eternal. It matters. Now, I know there's a lot of other people in this room that aren't moms, but my, my point is the same. We are around other lives regularly. And we have the opportunity in the normal, ordinary, mundane to touch eternal beings with a a taste of heaven, a touch of the love of God. And that's what he's inviting us into. I want to close by giving you some thoughts. And if you are a note taker, you might want to jot this down. If you're not a note taker and you wanted to to process this a little bit later, because this is kind of more something you have to do on your own time. Um, you got to sit with it a little bit. Um, The notes are online. They'll be up on our website in a day or two. 
Um, but I just want to give you some things to consider about being on mission with Jesus. Um, number one, what if we slowed down and actually identified some talents that we have? I mean, there are three basic categories where we have talents. There's natural abilities. There's just natural gifts and abilities, things we just naturally do. It could be our personality type. Maybe we're good with numbers. Maybe we're good with our hands. Like, there's just natural abilities that we have. Think about what those might be. Invite the Lord to even highlight them to you. Um, we have acquired skills. There's stuff you've learned how to do. Have you thought about that? What are some acquired skills that you have? How can you bless people with that? Like, this may sound like a silly, simple thing, but one of the things we do is we feed people around here when they've had a baby or they're, they're ill or they need some help. Man, I'm thankful for some ladies that have some great cooking skills that will love someone else with that. But the scripture talks about this. There's in Exodus chapter 31, verses 3 through 5, as they were preparing to build the tabernacle, God was saying, I've specifically gifted these craftsmen to work with their hands to build incredible things. There, there's nothing that's wasted in his kingdom. There are acquired skills that we have. Um, there are spiritual gifts that God gives us. There might be one or two in particular that you feel really strong in, but also like, man, the Holy Spirit fills us and gives us what we need when we need it in the moment to bless somebody. You can check out Romans 8 and 12. You can look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, this summer, we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. We'll unpack those more. But what are your natural abilities? What are your acquired skills? What are your spiritual gifts? Identify your talents. Secondly, focus your talents. This, this ties in closely with how we talked about the importance of stewarding our time. Let's be intentional where we direct what God's given us. We only have so much bandwidth. And so think about these three general questions. Um, what are some passions I have? What makes me tick? What do I enjoy? What do I have a heart for? Think about people. What are people that are around me? It could be my family. It could be coworkers. Maybe there's like specific people in Knoxville that God's given me a heart for. Do I have a heart to, to love on homeless people in our community? Think about the people around you. And then think about your place. Where are you right now? There might be things in your heart that are stirring that you'd love to do one day. Well, the one day can be the enemy of today. I can get so hung up on what I'd like to be doing in the future that I miss what's right here in front of me. God's given me passion, people, and a place right now. How do I go on mission with him there? And then, and then finally, the third thing is to wisely steward those talents. When you've figured, you've looked at all of those things, prioritize. There's a lot of good things. We, I was talking with the Kelly, we were talking about this conversation this week, I think. There's lots of good things, but what's the right thing for right now? Like, what's the thing right here, right now that I should be doing? Prioritize. And then practice, man. Hone your skills. Use them. Sharpen them. Go for it. Go for it. So we steward our God-given talent by following Jesus. So don't let fear hold you back. By being changed by Jesus. So let's walk with courage and humility, obeying and repenting where needed. And then let's be on mission with Jesus, identifying and focusing on what's right here in front of us and how we can, we can get in the game. All right? 
Let's pray. God, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're uniquely crafted. God, there's no two individuals alike. Not only that, God, I thank you that you've uniquely placed us where we are in the family that we're in, the friendships that we have, the coworkers around us, the neighborhood we live in. God, you've uniquely placed us there. There are people that we can impact their life like nobody else can. And God, I pray that we would hear your invitation to come follow you and that you will make us fishers of men. God, that we can, we can be disciples of Jesus Christ. God, that we can know you, imperfect as we are, still in process like we are. God, that you're inviting us into something rich and rewarding that will change our lives and will impact the lives of others around us. God, we commit our heart to you. God, on a, on a larger level, I just pray that everything we've talked about through these seven weeks, God, this wouldn't just be a blip on the radar and we're on to the next thing. But God, we would decide to be people who intentionally steward well our time, our talent, our treasure. God, that we would watch you transform us as we give that stuff to you. That you transform us into generous givers who live lives full of gratitude. God, that's who I want to be. That's who I want us to be as a church body. God, I know that's your heart for the church. And so, God, we commit our hearts to you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.